Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FTIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the China Shop. Hope you're having a good new year so far. I'm Shopkeeper Dan. With me, as always, is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing good. I'm excited for today. We've got a really good guest on the docket. Yes. Going to be a fun, exciting day today. Kyle, you want to introduce our guest? We have Jared Bibbler. Am I saying that right, Jared? That's right. Yep. Uh, he's the author of Iceland Secret, which I have been describing as a sort of Wolf of Wall Street story as told from the regulator's side. So let's see. I, I, I think you just mentioned that you hadn't seen Wolf of Wall Street. So it's. I've, I've seen it. I haven't read it. So yeah. Anyway. Okay. So um, the book and the movie kind of follow each other pretty closely. Okay. Yeah. I think that's. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, you're doing us the favor. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I tried to write a book that people would want to read and and people are telling me they're reading through it you know in in a night or two nights or something so that's quite cool oh that's awesome so what's the uh what is the book about then let's just jump right into that so i was the first invest well let's just talk about iceland for a second because you probably don't know that much about this crisis and, and even in iceland they've kind of forgotten because it was really 2008 yeah well i mean it's been over a decade yeah but um for me it's like <laughs> i was still living it anyway so in iceland i think we experienced i, I was uh, born in the u.s but i relocated there when i was about 30 in 2004 mm -hmm. and um it was the craziest boom, you know, it's amazing. Uh, if there's a movie made of this book, I think that's going to be the fun part to make because the boom was, was, but it was, it was even, a, there was so much crazy th things going, there's so many private jets flying into a, a place that was the size of like a main fishing village. Really? It was just, it was way over the top. Um, crazy. One of the, one of the big businessmen, he flew Elton John in for his 50th birthday party. Oh my God. To <laughs> <laughs> to give you an idea, uh, when I moved there in 2004, Iceland had about 270,000 people. That's the whole country. Mm -hmm. And Reykjavik's the capital. It has about 200,000. So, it's a small place, but it had um, three banks that grew to the size of Enron each. Oh, my gosh. So, how does that happen? Yeah, well, that's you have to read yeah. the book now. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were able to, it's funny, right? If you imagine this, imagine that you lived on an island with a couple hundred thousand people and your, um, and your main exports were fish and some melted, you know, smelted aluminum, some energy exports in the form of like melted aluminum and tourism. They have a lot of, uh, they have a lot of gemstones there too, don't they? Mm, not sure about that. Or is that Greenland? I might be thinking of Greenland. Maybe. But, you know, anyway, they went to the Germans and the Germans, like, I love to say this about Deutsche Bank, you know, they never met alone. They didn't want to give, um, they didn't want to make, and <laughs> the most profitable, it's crazy about the Germans because they'll go into a place like Greece, you know, the whole Greece financial crisis was just to save Deutsche Bank. Really? I mean, yeah. I was unaware of that. Yeah. Well, and also some French banks, mm -hmm. um, but these guys were, these banks were huge lenders. They had, 
they had bought Greek debt and marked it as, I don't know, AAA. And, you know, they had it as a safe asset and they were capitalized with, with Greek debt. And if that had been haircut, even like 10 or 20%, mm-hmm. uh, th- those banks would have gone bust and they would have forced public um, rescues from the French and German governments. And they didn't want to do that. So they just crushed Greece instead. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's in the book by Varoufakis. Uh-huh. I'm looking at it now. It's called Adults in the Room. That's a fantastic book. Varoufakis was later the finance minister of Greece, I think in 2015. And he tried to actually renegotiate the terms of the debt so that Greece could escape this this prison. And it wasn't successful. Anyway. Wait, what was the name of that? I mean, uh, Adults in the Room? Adults in the Room, yeah. Um, yeah, so the in this case... Iceland had these really, you know, they had been actually government owned banks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, public banks. One was, and they had like sleepy names. One was called Bunaderbanki, which literally means like the agriculture bank. <laughs> and another one was called like Landsbanki, which means like the lands bank. And they, they were these small, sleepy institutions. They were hurriedly privatized in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And they were basically privatized in the way of, you know, this, you can do privatization in many ways, but this is like crony privatization where they were just kind of handed, each of the two most powerful political parties took one bank and gave it to their, you know, to their, to their party. Wow. Um, you know, it's a businessman from that party and they just ran with it. And they went, uh, quickly figured out that Deutsche Bank and other European lenders would kind of lend them as much as they wanted. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, Iceland is, in the public imagination, at least in the German-speaking world, it's 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 like this. You know, the the um, Wagner Ring cycle was written based on you know Icelandic mythology, and, and so on. So it's got this like this Thule, this northern you know this pure land of the north idea to it. What's funny is that in the rest of the Nordics, they just see Iceland correctly as kind of more like the Wild West. Right. So no Scandinavian bank lost anything in the Icelandic <laughs> crisis, but the Germans and also eventually uh, U.S. and uh, Canadian pension funds and so on got got pulled into this as well. Because oh, uh, these oh, banks, I mean, they they got huge. I mean, I was looking at the at the statements for Cape thing for the uh, the creditors the creditors mm-hmm. list. This was a few years after, and it's like you know the Iowa teachers retail. Don't these are not exact quotes, but I think. I think I have them listed in the book, but it's something like the Iowa teachers retirement system and the, you know, these are like, you know, reputable Midwestern US sleepy pension funds that that lost tens or hundreds of millions sometimes as these banks collapse. So so how did you get involved with all this then? Well, I was kind of like, I was working on Wall Street, but not like glamorous Wall Street, not Wolf of Wall Street, Wall Street. Right. But like, well, that wasn't, that was like boiler room Wall Street, I guess. I was working on on the back office side of one of the biggest Wall Street banks Mm -hmm. for about five years from 99 to 2004. And, you know, this was like, this was fun work at first, but I was completely burned out. We were doing weekend conversions where we'd be working, you know, Saturday, you have to be in the office Saturday morning at five in the morning, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And if you were lucky, you'd get out at five in the evening. And then Sunday, you'd have to be in at eight in the morning. And if you were lucky, you'd get out at three in the afternoon. You'd be like, oh, now it's the weekend, you know? Right. On Sunday at three in the afternoon. And then Monday morning, I had to be back in there at seven and another week began. So, those were tough years. And I was like, maybe there's a better way. So, I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I got a job in Iceland, uh, just stumbled into a job doing something similar, doing IT consulting work mm-hmm. uh, for for a, a nice little Icelandic company, 2004. And so I was there through the boom years. Mm-hmm. And I, I even switched over and worked in one of the banks as an asset manager. Okay. Uh, and th- so 2007 and eight, and that was, that was eye-opening because I thought I was... I was, I had, you know, stars in my eyes. I thought, oh, I'm going to be a rock star. This is going to be great. And it, it was fun. <laughs> you know, it was cool. It was fun. But I couldn't believe I was really, after about the first six months, I started to lose sleep from that job because the stuff that we were doing with client funds was just terrible. It was just. Mm. Isn't, are those yeah. details in the book? Yes. No, okay. I'm ordering it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Good. But, you know, so I finally, I finally got sick of that world and I quit. And my last day was the uh, the third of third of October two thousand eight, a Friday. And the three banks collapsed uh, on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday of the next week. So the sixth, what? seventh, and ninth of of October. Okay, and so they were they were each the size of Enron. I I have to ask. Yes. So is it a coincidence that the collapse happened right after you got there? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, after I left, you mean? Okay, okay. Yeah, I, okay. I pulled, I pulled it. No, you know. I don't know if anybody else has put these two pieces together yet. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, I get that question you, a lot. Okay. I, <laughs> I don't have a good answer for you. No, I, I think, but you know, even look, I, I, in the last few weeks, mm -hmm. this was the layman collapsed, I think on the 17th of September. So I was there to, for the two weeks after that Lehman collapse, that was pretty shaky times inside that bank. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Then I, but nobody expected the crash to be as deep as it was. Mm -hmm. I thought the banks would have trouble funding and there'd be some difficult, you know, and they'd have some layoffs and stuff. I mean, I thought it would be like that, but nobody expected a, a complete gutting of the countries. I mean, the stock market lost 97% of its value. Right. Whoa. Um, and uh, unemployment quintupled. And then in the middle of in the middle of that week or the next week, check this out. The British Her Majesty's Treasury on their terrorist watch list. So it was like Al Qaeda. It was like Al Qaeda in Syria or Al Qaeda. It was like these, you know, these like these famous names of terrorist organizations. And then then on there was like Republic of Iceland, Financial <laughs> Supervisory Authority of Iceland, Central Bank of Iceland. Yeah, really. And that was horrible because they did this to punish the country. Uh -huh. We can get into that if you want. Um, but that, that basically being on a sanctions watch list, a whole country, that means that no money wires clear. Right. None. Yep. Like nobody in the world who, so all the legit businesses in Iceland, of which there are many, especially in the fishery sector or energy sector. Oh, they wow. all had in, they all had invoices outstanding. You know, they had to get cash in, pay their people, you know, for exports and so on. That was just frozen for, I think, 10 weeks, something like so that. So they really uh, kind of screwed like the working class. Yeah. 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 So the country, so, I mean, I remember, I remember the run on the banks happening. Mm -hmm. I remember being in the middle of that. And I remember going to the store and now when I told this story a couple of years ago, people were like, oh my God. But now with COVID, I think you've seen like, you go to the store and like shelves are bare yeah. in the supermarket, but I had never seen that before. So then, then I got hired. Um, that was a real, that was a dark, dark winter. Uh, Cause I had quit without a going, without a job to go to. I was sure I'd get a job at one of the pension funds and uh there was there was nothing right and the country had just just it was really dark and in iceland the winter is dark like the sun comes up at eleven twenty in december <laughs> and it goes down at three fifteen or three thirty or something you know it's just really dark yeah and it was it was yeah metaphorically and literally dark uh, time and the people the people of the country just just swarmed out into the into the main squares of reykjavik and People were just banging on pots and pans, I'm, standing in the snow. I heard you talking to Anthony too about the uh, the, the conversion to the euro. I, I can't remember the exact figure. I think it was something from like ninety seven. Yeah, of the currency uh, exchange up to like three hundred, like in the space of a couple of days. Yeah, I want to say it was in the high nineties. Mm -hmm. So, so ISK, so ninety five ISK would buy you one euro. And that was, you know, and this was like, you know, you get these exchange rates in your head, they, they stick for years, you know, so it was like that around that range for a while. And then at one point d during the collapse, the central bank announced that somehow they were going to peg it at 135 to the euro. And I think that peg lasted maybe a few hours and then it went, it just slipped <laughs> down to 200 or something. And then actually they froze then and they just said, oh. Well, anyway, you couldn't, it, at, at one point there wasn't a Euro market, you know, you just couldn't buy them. Right. So that was, that's it. You don't even know what the rate is. It's like, they're not available. Yeah, it's almost like they just shut you out from the rest of the world. Yes. And that was like that. There were capital controls for eight years, I think. Wow. Um, after. Um, yeah, you could, you could not buy dollars or euros, anything, uh, unless you had an airplane ticket. <laughs> And then, but this, this happened, I actually, this is in the book, but right after the crash, I was like, I'm just going to go on a trip just to get currency, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I got an airplane ticket and then, and then I went around to the banks. This was like two, one, two weeks after the crash It was pretty early. I went around to all the banks downtown and th they were just out. No, you couldn't get hard currency anyway, even with an airplane, they just didn't have it. They didn't have physical cash. Um, <laughs> That's wild. I went to France and I went to the ATM every day and I took out like 300 euros, which was the max. Right. You know? So I came, I came back with like, I don't know, 
twelve or fifteen hundred euros in cash, and I was like, "This is <laughs> this is what we have." You know? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was it was really dark. I can't tell you like that feeling because you don't know you when you're in that you don't know it's going to get better, right? Or it could be better in five years, but you know you have no idea how you're going to maybe feed yourself the next week. Uh, and even doing and doing the final research for the book this year or last year, early last year, I realized that. Um, or, or I found out that the complete collapse of the payment system w- was really—it was almost a miracle that it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So it was—it could have been even worse than it was. Could have been a lot worse, um, but it was—it was pretty frightening. And what's the uh, what's the saying? Like, uh, I think people are basically three or four meals away from complete anarchy. Yeah. That, well, that, right, and we lived that. That's definitely true. Mm-hmm. But you know, one good, th- one positive thing in Iceland is it's a tight knit society, and I think that really helped actually. Mm-hmm. But I think if this type of thing happened, like in the U.S. or some other place that was less less so, it, it would probably have just it would have been anarchy. And we, I think Iceland, the central bank head of the central bank, actually used that word in a meeting sometime around that that weekend before the banks collapsed. He said, if we don't get an emergency law in place so these banks can wind down, we're looking at 30 years of anarchy. Wow. Yeah. So, so how did you get into the uh, regulatory side to, to start investigating yes. this? Well, I mean, like I wanted a job at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even, even, even one that paid in local currency would, would be good, right? But, so, I mean, I'm almost uh, wondering if the regulators and- just wanted to nail somebody at this point seeing their country kind of turn to shit did they approach you or did you approach them i i i applied like right away Mm -hmm. and didn't hear anything and then it wasn't i didn't start there until six months almost to the day six months after the banks collapse it was april early april 2009 Mm -hmm. but they had like hundreds of applicants Mm -hmm. of course they had their pick right and they gave us like really difficult i was doing my cfa at the time so i was really current on like uh, balance sheet analysis and stuff, but they gave us really hard um, uh, problems to solve, hmm. and I did I did well enough on that to to be one of the top candidates. And I think they also liked that I was not a native, mm-hmm. although I speak Icelandic and I had become a citizen by that point. But I was an outsider still, right. definitely. And I think that was the first time that was an advantage for me uh-huh. um, in, in Iceland. Cause it's otherwise it can be hard to be, to be a foreigner there. People will yell at you on the street and stuff like that. So um, yeah, really someone told me like, go, go home and stuff. Go, one guy was like, go, go back to your land, bitch. <laughs> one guy said on the street. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, in English too, it was like, thanks oh, for the, that's probably the only phrase he ever um, learned. <laughs> 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 so, uh, yeah. So anyway, I got I got into the regulator early April two thousand nine, and yeah, they really wanted. I think you know what? No, it was it was because of the public pressure. They really. I hear a cat over there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's nice. To close the door. <laughs> the, the cat's Icelandic's telling you to go home. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, I just read. Uh, I just read Kafka on the Shore by Murakami. That's got a lot of cats yeah. in it. You know this book. No. Anyway, uh, yeah. So I got in there at April two thousand nine. And I did had no. I mean, I'd never been. I had been in, I had been in banking and in IT, banking IT, and and had been fund management, and I was working on the CFA. So I had background, um, to to do this type of work. I had very good background, but I mean, I'd never done an investigation before. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first day, they were just like, "Well, here's your desk," and the desk was nice and had like, you know. State of the art Dell, you know, <laughs> whatever <laughs> PC with like two screens, you know, and and um, uh, you know, and a phone, you mm-hmm. know, and they were like, "Well, here you go. This is where you're sitting." And and then they were like, "Well, you know, have fun investigating." It was like, oh. <laughs> you know, that's it. That was your orientation. Um, yeah, basically, <laughs> and then and thankfully, the regulator had hired. Um, they had hired the auditing firm. So the big four, they, I think at least three of the big four have, have Icelandic outposts. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had hired them to look into, I think the instructions were like, look at the last two weeks within each bank and see if there were any um, suspicious money wires and, and suspicious trades and so on. So we had report, because this is now six months after the crisis. So we had these reports. Mm-hmm. 
And that was a place to start. Um, but what I, what I started with was a letter from the stock exchange. Uh, and the stock exchange, and this is now we're getting, so everything I've told you is not even the crazy part of the story. Uh, right. <laughs> this is the crazy part. Um, I got a letter from the stock exchange and the letter said, um, it was, I think it was January, 2009. So it was from the, the head of market surveillance at the Icelandic stock exchange, which is NASDAQ, mm -hmm. a, NAS a NASDAQ branded exchange, um, or owned, I guess. And it was written to the head of um, securities regulation at the regulator. And it said, hey, we noticed some strange trading patterns on October. I guess it would have been like October 2nd, 3rd, and 6th or something. It was like the last three trading days before the, the whole collapse, mm -hmm. collapse happened. And they said, what we noticed is that on these three days, uh, one trader at each bank, one broker ID, he bought basically almost 100% of the of the daily share volume on the Icelandic stock exchange in his own bank's shares. Right. It's huh. like, you get what I'm saying here? Like one trader yeah. buys all the share, all the, all the volume on the exchange, like for that day. Just one guy. That's weird, yeah. right? Yeah. One guy at each bank. And I was like, what? They can't, that's who, if they're doing this with the bank's money, I mean, this is just, this is just straight manipulation, you know? Just um, basically trying to prop their price up. Yeah. And I was like, this is, you know, this is, this is, this could be big. Yeah. You know, this is something we should look at. And the lawyer who handed it to me, he's like, yeah, we don't really know what to do with this, Jared. Can you look at this? And I was like, yeah, I'll look at it. You know, this is, <laughs> this is good stuff. So I went to my boss and I was like, you know, I kind of, I want to look at this. She said, okay. And, and I said, well, I need to see these trades. I need to see the data mm -hmm. so just to just to be sure, and I want to look at do do some analysis on this, dig it, dig into it a little bit, and maybe maybe I'll go back like two days, or maybe I'll go back a week and just get the last week and see how it looks. She said, "Yeah, yeah, that's fine." I was like, "Well, I don't know. How do I get this information?" And she says, "Well, we're the regulator." <laughs> I don't know. She didn't say right. that, but but it occurred to me as I was asking. I was like, "Oh, we're the regulator." So like, I can just. She said, "Yeah, just call them and tell them what you need, and they'll give it to you." So I got an Excel spreadsheet from the stock exchange with all the trades in each bank's shares for those, I think it was the, the last week. Uh, how big was that before they were spreadsheet? It wasn't even that oh, okay. big. Um, um, I mean, this is a very small stock market. Although these entities were Enron sized, the stock market itself, I mean, they were the market. That's the other right. thing. These three banks were 75% of the market cap of the exchange. They were the, I mean, they were the whole thing. Because if you throw in a couple of the satellite companies, you get maybe ninety percent of the of the exchange. Wow! So so um, yeah, and they all so imagine this is why the stock market lost ninety seven percent of its <laughs> <Yeah>. value because <laughs> they were the market. And so I was like, wow, these guys were. And so uh, in the last week, the whole pattern was the same, which is that you have a prop desk trader, so proprietary desk, so with the bank's money, um, buying, you know, using using that bank money to to basically buy all the volume as it crosses the exchange <laughs> <laughs> just like oh just you know just keep this price up you know and so i wanted to see i can just be sure i, I yeah, gotta go ask what's the end game on that plan like <laughs> yeah <laughs> do they think they could just keep that up forever <laughs> well check this out so I wanted to see when it started, right? Uh, so I was like, uh, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe they did. The, you know, this is crazy. This is a big case. I thought, you know, this is, you know, because I, I wasn't a lawyer, but I could read the Icelandic laws, and and I went and looked. This is like market manipulation, yeah, pretty straight up. And I had met all the criteria, and I was like, well, you know. And so um, I start, I, I call the exchange again, and I'm, I'm like, hey, you know, give me two weeks of data. And so they do, and but it was the same. Mm -hmm. The two weeks were the same. So it was at least going on for two weeks. So then, I mean, I can't remember. I went back a few steps. Finally, I said, finally, I thought I was being really bold. And I was like, give me six months of data, you know, April 2008 to October 2008. I want to see when this begins. You know, this will solve the problem. Right. And then <laughs> it was the same. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. For six Jesus. months. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus, this, this, this market was just a mirage. But I couldn't, like, I mean, you guys seem to get it, but I couldn't explain this. People were like, oh, so what? They were buying some shares. I'm like, oh, these guys were creating, <laughs> creating their own you know? market. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> they created it. So then I looked back five years and then I found a point where I could call the beginning, which was like in 2004. Mm-hmm. It turned, Lord. Yeah. It turned, but it turned out later as I was doing the research to finish up the book, that actually, uh, it went back in some cases as far as 1998, which is before the banks were even fully private. Holy crap. So this was like baked into the market. In the market in Iceland, people were fired up about the market. Everyone was talking about the market. It was like every taxi driver was in the market. You know, yeah. was, th- those years were crazy. And it turned out that the market had just been, you know, Set up created. Yeah. yeah. Smoke and mirrors. Yeah. And then, of course, they used. Um, that, so you asked how long did they think they could do this? Well, I guess they thought they could do it forever yeah. because they had been doing it forever. And, um, you know, they, they used those great share, uh, perform, share price performance. They used that to go to the Germans, to go to the Americans and to borrow. So they went to mm-hmm. Wall Street. They, uh, later they went even to Japan and borrowed money. Um, cause, and if you look at the, presentations for example that the wall street banks did to to you know to pitch their bonds it's full of uh share price talk right you know so oh, these guys have a robust and growing and share healthy share price and blah 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 so um yeah so the whole thing was created and i think i've never heard of a bigger market abuse case in the world and th- and we and this is the three biggest <laughs> um and they were doing this like um I mean, this cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So each of the banks spent about a billion dollars just in the last year, just in Iceland, just buying their own shares. You know, this Gosh. this became the yeah. So that so this was the crazy. This is the crazy at the heart of the book. This is the reason because even though the Icelandic crisis got covered somewhat, it was always lumped in with um, two thousand eight and people just assumed that these banks were, you know, drunk on subprime debt or something. No. <laughs> it wasn't the case at all. I mean, they they were they were drunk on their own shares for years before that. So as big as these um, banks were was was the 2008 uh crisis like kind of what led to the unraveling of the whole thing or were they more yes, yeah. of the actual catalyst for maybe driving some of the 2008 fall? No, they uh, they weren't that big. Okay. I mean, as as big I always compare them to Enron, which is a bit cheeky because you know other banks are much bigger than enron mm-hmm. and ba- banks balance sheets tend to be pretty huge anyway enron was at least nominally a company with some real some pipelines and stuff so it, t- it tend to be a smaller balance sheet but anyway uh no they they actually were in trouble uh one executive said they were insolvent or one the biggest bank was insolvent in 2005 already hmm. uh when he get, got in there and there was a there was what they called a mini crisis of two thousand six, where the banks, uh, where the Germans actually decided, eh, this is not such a good. <laughs> we don't really know what these guys are doing with our money, and they stopped. Really, the European wholesale markets really closed down at that point, and the banks' shares took a took a hit. And the the the, the what's funny about Iceland, but a small country is. Whatever happened on the market happened to the currency mm-hmm. at the same time. So if the stock market went down 20%, the currency lost 20% of its value. <laughs> also, those things were really, really, really tied. Right. So that all happened in 2006. But then they continued to, they doubled down then. So 2006 would have been the, really the time to take stock and maybe, you know, shut, the, shut some things down, sell some assets. Right. Um, but I think I think they didn't have much good at, good to sell anyway, and so they doubled down. Well, if there's no buyers. Um, I mean, what are they going to sell it to? Yeah, but I mean, I mean, assets in terms of like they oh, had right, right, they yeah. had they had some good loans on their right. loan book. You know, they had you know they could have yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but they didn't do that. They continued to to grow at, at at the same rate, which was doubling the balance sheet almost every year. They did that for like three four years. Whew. It's really Ponzi. Ponzi type of growth. Did you have any inkling um, of any of this stuff that was going on while you were working for them? I had no idea about the shares mm-hmm. thing. I, I I never bought shares in any of the Icelandic, although I knew plenty of people around me did. They were like, everyone was, this is like tulip, I was reading about tulip yep. mania yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And you know, oh, yeah. even like, 
even even women in the brothels were like, you know, yep. <laughs> were, were trading tulips. So it was the same with Icelandic bank shares. Everyone in the country was was in on this in some way. You mentioned the you I mentioned nev- the taxi yeah. drivers talking about it. Like I think if a taxi driver is mm-hmm. talking to you about certain stocks, then that's probably the top. Yeah. Yes. I think that's a good yes. rule of thumb. <laughs> but actually it was that way in two thousand four <laughs> five when I got there. You know, okay, it was right, already right. crazy. And then it continued more crazy. So I never I never bought the bank's shares, but I had my savings in a money market fund, which was offered by Lundsbanki. Oh my bank. And guess what that money market fund yep. was? It was, you know, it was lending to some shell companies <laughs> that were <laughs> that were holding the bank. Because we, we didn't even get to the even crazier part is like, what did the banks do with the shares once they bought them? Um, because they couldn't, if, if they, if, you know, if they would, can- like in a typical buyback, you would cancel the share. Once you buy them, you, you, you strike them right. off, you know. So if you had 10, 11 shares and you buy one back, you strike it off. Now there's only 10 shares. Okay, they didn't do that because if they had done that, that would, that would necessitate an announcement. Right. And then <laughs> and the <laughs> amount they would be canceling would be like a quarter of the shares outstanding. Oh, shit. You know? So, yeah, so they, they couldn't. So they had to hide them. And, and, and that's the even maybe crazier part of this. Uh, and the harder thing for me to investigate, actually finding the share buying, it took me like a week or two. I had that whole thing mapped out, but I still didn't believe it because I was like, where did these shares go? Right. Like they're not, they're not on their audited financial statements anywhere. You know, it's just like, am I seeing things here? And what they were doing was like, I already, maybe I already uh, spoiled it, but they, you know, for example, they were hiding them in domestic investment companies mm-hmm. or even offshore investment companies in the British Virgin Islands or Cyprus or or so on. <laughs> and those companies, where do you think, okay, at some of these trades were huge because they had to hide them all at the end of each financial quarter to get them off their books. Mm-hmm. So they would do like one, one, two, three trades and each trade would be like hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, worth of shares in one block mm-hmm. going to some company. The type of deal so huge that if it were legit, they would have announced it. Right. You know, like so and so buys two hundred million shares. You know, it's like um, they didn't, of course. And and where do you think these companies that you've never heard of got two hundred million bucks? Uh, do you have any guesses? The Germans. <laughs> well, indirectly, the Germans. No, it was the Icelandic banks themselves oh, no. because they could lend. <laughs> see, so they could just make a new loan. For that amount, right. and then the asset side of their balance sheet grows by the size of that oh loan. Oh my god! So they're yeah. See <laughs> that makes so. They- oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out that most of the loans in the last year or two was just for this bullshit. Holy you know, crap. just yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So how many? So, how many people went to jail yeah. for this? Please tell me somebody did at least two. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very low numbers. Oh, it's always like that. And I, I remember, um, well, but even now in Iceland, people are saying this was all a mistake. We should never have investigated. Everything was lovely. Oh, it's no, like what? it's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all. It's all being wallpapered over. Like, oh God. Like my book is not welcome there. Really? Right. Uh, yeah. So I couldn't. I I talked to a, a publisher almost a year ago, and I was like, "Hey, I got this book coming out. It's really fun to read. It's about Iceland." Blah blah blah. And she was like, "Ah, oh, we, yeah, that's not the kind of book that we do." <laughs> <laughs> and they're like the they're like the biggest publisher in Iceland. Iceland publishes more books per capita than any country. I did not know that. And uh, it's an extremely literate and book loving place. Mm-hmm. And so they publish anything. <laughs> She's like, this is this is not the kind of book that we do. <laughs> wow. You got anything with some smut in it, we'll publish that right, right away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh so yeah, a couple a couple people were sentenced. I think the longest sentence was uh five and a half years. Wow. And maybe they served I don't know exactly. It's hard to get this information. I I think maybe maybe someone did a year behind bars. Sounds just like Wolf of Wall uh, Street. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah. 
Yeah. Ah, oh, that's such a shame. So, so how much of this kind of stuff is still going on today? Well, that's the reason I wrote the book is because like, it's a cute story about Iceland and all, but I kind of think, and readers back me up on this, I kind of think that this is more the way of the world than not. Right. Um, the, the, the scam in Iceland was pretty, like I've been able to explain it to you in just a few minutes, pretty straightforward because it's a small place. It's, mm -hmm. you, you don't need a complicated scheme. Mm -hmm. But I was talking to a senior um, person at, at one of the biggest Swiss banks who read the book. Um, he said publicly, I think he said on LinkedIn, like this sounds very familiar, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> and privately he said to me, you weren't writing about Iceland at all, were you? You were writing about Switzerland. It's like everybody who reads it, they see their own. Yeah. I had like Americans like, oh, oh, geez, this is about Wall Street, isn't it? So have you have you paid any attention to uh, the last couple of years with the, um, is it, I can never pronounce the name right, Credit Suisse, Credit Suisse? Credit Suisse, yeah. Uh, and the green cell issue? Yeah, yeah. I know a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, that was one of the companies I worked for before I quit my job. Uh, Last oh, year, you worked for Green, not for Green, Green Silver, Silver. Liberty, the uh, the steel one of the steel companies oh. that the uh, Gupta had purchased. Okay, uh, so yeah, I've done a little bit of digging into that one, and some of the stuff that they were doing, I think, was just plain insanity. Uh, yes, uh, have you heard of future prospective uh, invoice loaning? I, I don't think I'm saying yeah. the actual term <laughs> right, but. Oh yeah. Basically, so they would sit down with the uh, the bank, and they would the bank would say, "Who do you think you can sell to?" And they would name some companies, and they'd say, "Okay, how much do you think you would sell to them?" And they'd give them a number, and then they'd write them a loan for <laughs> what they might sell to this person who's never heard of them. Yeah, who they have never spoken with. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wow. This is great. Yeah. Enron. Enron could have. This is like way beyond yeah, what they Enron could have learned a thing. Or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. yeah it, it, like what i'm describing to you almost feels quaint now with you know right how how crazy things are around certain cryptocurrencies and stuff i mean you know it's almost like yeah it's all it's almost like i was i was because i would when i first moved to iceland i had a, a co-worker he's called he's this is not his real name but because he hates it when I call him this. He's called Wayne Grow in the book. <laughs> Wayne Grow is this character from Heat. I don't know if you've seen that. Heat, but. the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? No, it's uh, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. It's uh, Val Michael Kilmer. Mann. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Val yes. Kilmer's in there. So w Wayne Grow is played by Kevin Gage. He's this, uh, so, this psychotic uh, like serial killer. Anyway, <laughs> my, my friend Wayne Grow, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was the biggest cheerleader I knew when I moved there. Right. Uh, we worked at, we worked in the same small software firm and he was like, "Jared, this is going to be great." This is how he talked. He's like, "Jared, this is going to be great. These banks are great. Look at this. It's crazy because they were going up like basically a couple of percent. The shares are going up a, a 2, 3, 5% a month <laughs> when I moved there every month." And he was like, "This is just awesome, you know." Yeah. Um and I would I would always ask him about valuation and I'm like why do you think and he's like well I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> this is going to be it's great momentum it's got momentum <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and, and uh, that was that was kind of the part but I kind of feel like that's 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 the zeitgeist today right I mean in a way I think it just tells you why it's so important to have stop losses in place yeah true <laughs> oh yeah. man so what um so what uh, when did you move to Switzerland then. Uh, moved here in 2012. So the that's the sad part. I'm telling you the whole story now, but the sad part of the book is that uh, I did the first investigation that I told you about for the biggest bank, mm -hmm. almost almost solo. I mean, I had some help to write the criminal referral because my written Icelandic is not university level. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but but in terms of the, putting the data together about the trades and 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 where the shares ended up and all that. Yeah, I did that myself. Mm -hmm. And I was really like, please, can I have some help? <laughs> you know? kind of sounds like they didn't want to really uncover all this. It's kind of one of those things where they just want to turn a blind eye to and move on. Is that, am I reading that right? Yeah, that, that became more and more. I didn't want to see that at mm -hmm. first. And that became more and more clear to me. And, and I, finally, I finally left 
just a couple of years later as the, as my whole team was being taken apart from under me. Oh, I, I was afraid um, it was because of that guy who yelled at you in the street. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. I never saw him, him again. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, I, I uh, you know, I, I really thought, because even sleepy regulators in Europe have what's called an enforcement division. Mm-hmm. And the SEC has as well, I believe. Uh, and you need, in a regulator, you need some competent investigation team that takes this type of things forward. The Icelandic regulator had never had one. And I was like, look, we can take these, because inve- I ended up getting a few people to help me, which was a, a fantastic team of, of people. And I was like t- telling the bosses, look, we need to keep this team together even, even after the investigations are over, um, just to have an enforcement capacity. They didn't agree, nor did they agree that we should continue the investigations at all so when we were done with like maybe five or ten percent of the of the cases they just shut it down in about 2011 and 2012 so that's when i moved away yeah there was like nothing left for me to do and i wasn't going to get a job i was in the banks if i you know if i tried to go back to one of the <laughs> banks for a job i was definitely not welcome <laughs> sorry i had to yeah. kick the cat out it was getting a little unbearable <laughs> kick the cat out like it's an icelandic regulator get out of here yeah i I don't know how to speak in icelandic so i couldn't i couldn't swear at it properly but (laughs) (laughs) there's not even that many swears in icelandic yeah i had to invent some just to get people to some languages don't have bad words in them really yeah yeah and so then that means the people who speak that native language uh, that language natively, they don't understand the concept of swearing. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I mean. Like, what do they do when they're mad? I mean, there's certain words. There's certain words I wouldn't say around my mother-in-law in Iceland, <laughs> but they're not that bad. It's like helvitis is one. It just means hell. It's the, you know, like hellish right. kind of. Uh, but that's about as bad as it gets. Hmm. Um, and so I had to like. <laughs> I had to invent some. I won't <laughs> repeat them here, but I had to invent some shocking words in Icelandic. Icelandic is a great language, and and it's it's easy to invent a new word by combining old mm-hmm. words, other words. So I invented a couple of swears, and I I would just say, look, when you say the f word in English, this is how it's this is how it would sound to you mm-hmm. in Icelandic. And I would say this word, and people, are like, oh my god. <laughs> You know, and I was like, "Oh well, that's how my mom would react if you said that." And they're like, "Oh really? Oh my god, I didn't know." But they're like, "But they say it in the movies all the time." Yeah, yes, I'm like, "Yeah, well, that's the movies." <laughs> <You're right. laughs> so, yeah. I, I, one of, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting when I was listening to your interview with uh, Anthony, uh, like they pretty much started you on learning Icelandic, like your day one. Oh, that's true. Yeah. How yeah. long did it actually take you to become be able to like speak it competently? I mean, I still, <laughs> I still can't speak. <laughs> I, did, I did a talk uh, before Christmas. I haven't gone and looked at the comments, but I think they're pretty bad. <laughs> I did an hour-long talk for the Transparency International of Iceland, mm-hmm. uh, like online. And I think like nobody showed up, <laughs> and uh, but there was like a replay online, and I guess people are trashing on my Icelandic. Um, <laughs> how long did it take me? I, I, I don't you, know, you don't trash somebody who's trying to learn your language. Yeah, you know it's. <laughs> It's it's a different world. Yeah. My my but my you know like my first uh, colleagues, including this guy Wayne Grow, was telling, um, they really helped me. Mm-hmm. They kind of um, they would speak a lot of English because people speak very good English there in general. Mm-hmm. But then then um, more and more they would kind of like we'd start a conversation in Icelandic, and I'd see like how far I could get. Right. And like each week I could get a little further, which is a really cool feeling, you mm-hmm. know. And now I mean I can do. I could do everything I need to do there, uh, including like professional presentations and stuff. But I, I can't. I still don't have all the words at my fingertips that I would right. like. You know, it's it's still like I st- there's always like another level. Mm-hmm. Just like with skiing, you know, <laughs> just you get to a level and then you're like, oh, there's like now there's new things. Like yeah, anyway, it's like that. I feel like that with so. trading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except I'm still on the bunny hill. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Ah, so what are you doing in Switzerland now then? Are you working for regulatories there? Or are you just kind of retired and taking it easy? Well, I mean, this book has been a tremendous amount of work. I bet. Especially since it came out in October. Normally, I I do consulting work here. I have a I have my own like one-man consulting firm. Mm-hmm. 
but a couple of projects fell through last autumn and I'm really glad they did because the book came out in October and I've been it's been like 60 hour weeks since then just with interviews and you know other stuff like that so well, we're glad you took the time um, out to, to talk to us yeah oh it's it's a pleasure <laughs> um, yeah it's nice yeah no I I do consulting I've been doing a lot of work on greenwashing and sustainable finance which I think is kind of the new mm -hmm. <laughs> The the new a new ripe area for fraud. That which sounds so oh. <laughs> sustainable financing. What do you know? DWS. Um, I think that's what they're called. DWS. It's the Deutsche Bank. Back to Deutsche, my favorite. Yeah. But uh, it's their asset management arm, and uh, they got called. They labeled all. I'm exaggerating a bit, but they labeled like half of their funds green, like. <laughs> <laughs> these funds are fully whatever and they didn't i think there was not much behind that just that they're the se <laughs> green yeah, <in> color <laughs> <laughs> yes and so there was a whistleblower there who left last summer i want to say mm -hmm. and the sec is investigating them and it could be a big a big fraud case potentially of course they won't they'll just do a settlement maybe but but i think that's a, that's a bold new area because there's huge probably not in the u.s but huge demand in europe every Every retail investor wants uh, wants some climate friendly. You know, they, I think we're they don't starting just, to go that direction here. Yeah, it's, here the demand is just it's just tripling every year. People mm -hmm. don't want just a straight market index fund; they want the market index fund that's been greened. So they don't want any oil companies. Right. Or, you know, like, and so the the asset management companies are rushing to offer these products, but there's no check on what's actually in them. <laughs> Uh, or you know, there's people that pe people are racing to catch up to check what's in them, um, and so that's kind of a new a new area for yeah, for for some good investigations, I think. Mm -hmm. What's next for you? I was actually going to write another book, maybe. Yeah. What about yeah. this time? If you don't mind us asking, I think it's I think it, well, it might be called America's Secret. Ah, that's the yeah. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Ah, this could be interesting. <laughs> Yeah, so that could be the second one. Otherwise, going skiing—that's that's high on my agenda. <laughs> uh, Dan, do you have any uh, anything you want to ask? No, I've just been along for the ride, and such a great story. Uh, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I I love. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I uh, I remember Enron. I I was invested in some utilities since we brought them up so many times. Uh, and, yeah. and when I say like, if I'm online on Reddit or I'm talking to somebody in person and I'm like, Oh, it's like Enron. Like they blink at me. Like, what's that? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like I would, oh, it's just, it, yeah, it, it was just the 20th anniversary of Enron, right? Last, yeah. Last autumn. Oh, that's it. And like when I, when that was unfolding, I was just an Enron junkie, man. I was reading every book and. That was early in my Iceland time. I think The Smartest Guys in the Room, which was my favorite book, probably my favorite business book ever, mm -hmm. which is about Enron. I think that came out in 2004. I was reading that and it was crazy because just a few years later, I was <laughs> doing my own Enron investigation, which you know, not everybody gets to do. It was, it was really cool. I mean, the, the first part of that, uh, as you'll see, most of the book is is focused in that investigation, and it was really cool. It was really enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Also, the people that I worked with, there's nothing more fun than a good investigation. It's <laughs> you know, it's just fantastic, especially when you're looking for some smoking gun email and you find mm -hmm. it, you know, and you find it, and it's even better than you could have dreamed. <laughs> Let's rig this market, boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was actually an email where. An executive said, "If if we don't, if we if we stop rigging the market, I'm paraphrasing here, but this is the gist of it. If we stop rigging the market, the market will lose its trust in us." <laughs> <laughs> We've set up some expectations here. We need to fill those expectations. Yeah, because think about it. If you're if you're buying your own shares every day of of <laughs> every trading day from dawn till dusk. Imagine if you would stop. I mean, the, the banks would collapse the next day. It's amazing how long they could keep this going. Yeah. Would you call it tapering? I was, yes, I was just about to draw that. <laughs> yeah, great, great point. Yes, yeah, so yes, exactly. With the Fed purchasing assets since what, 2008, like what kind of similarities mm -hmm. do you see between that and what 
the banks well, were doing. There you go. Maybe right? that's, your that's book. it. <laughs> Do we figure it out? <laughs> Shh, don't give away the secret. <laughs> you know what's funny, you guys? Like, it's great to talk to you because half the people who read this book, they're like, oh, I learned a lot about the Icelandic banking crisis. It was a fun book. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot more to this, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's not just Iceland. Like, yeah, it's a parable, guys. They're like, what's a parable? <laughs> um, yeah, so. <laughs> Can be applied elsewhere. <laughs> yes. No, the Fed, I mean, the Fed's, a, it's, it's a fantastic point you make. So I'm going to use that if it's okay. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, please do. I'll, yeah. My question for you that I want to end with, uh, since we're probably getting close to the time where you probably have other other people you got to talk to, uh, what do you see as far as like the future of the the markets going forward? Are you look? I'm, are you scared for <laughs> the next the coming year? In terms of in terms of yeah, I, I'm really worried that you know. Well, right back on your point about the Fed, I'm really worried that we've been living in a sort of a fantasy world for so for more than a decade. Mm-hmm. And and some circumstance will come. It may it may still be five or two, who knows how long this can go, but some circumstance will come along and will will prick the prick the bubble, mm-hmm. and that and then we will have a crash that that makes two thousand eight look like a warm up, right? And that's what I'm really worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the level of fraud in markets is um, nobody's talking about. It. That's the thing. Nobody. Um, no country wants to go hard after big market fraud because it will make their it will make those markets less desirable for for listings mm-hmm. so there's a there's a sort of a global race to the bottom um nobody wants everyone has a enforcement division and does some stuff to you know to have have press releases and things right but nobody's goal is to have the cleanest market in the world and that should worry everybody no i think the the goal is just to have people believe in it yeah and all you have to do is just do enough to to keep yeah keep the faith yes that's right um but but the, the the level of rot is i think much bigger than a lot of people realize and it's been just carried forward for so long Whoa. Ah. but to leave it on a hope on yes, a hopeful please. note <laughs> this could all be this could be fixed really quickly just print more no, money if, if, no, no if, <laughs> sorry imagine if there were some incentives like on the uh, on the crime fighting side to bring in a big case like imagine if our te- if my team had been paid i mean we didn't need to be paid we we loved the work anyway but we were bringing in you know multi-billion dollar frauds right Imagine if we got a piece of that as a bonus, even like 0.01%, you know, right. but there's no, nobody that I know is, I think, I think only Singapore is paying their regulator a market rate. That's the first thing you need for your regulator staff is they have to be paid what they'd be paid in a bank. Right. Otherwise they're going to, they're going to go work for a bank. Otherwise yeah. <laughs> they're going to go work for a bank. And, and the problem with that is while they're at the regulator, they're not going to regulate that bank either. No, Cause they want to get higher there. Yeah. Yep. So, so that's the first thing. But the second thing is on the banking side, you have an incentive to do, if you do a $100 million deal, you get a piece of that. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like that on the other side. Right. If, if we had just a little, who wasn't it a Charlie Munger who said like, sh- I think not an exact quote, but show me an incentive and I'll show you, an, show you an outcome basically. Ah, that's a good quote. So, you, you know, like if, if you just had a few more incentives on the, on the on the anti-financial crime side mm-hmm. things could get clean really fast i mean i think like this elizabeth holmes verdict is excellent mm-hmm. yeah right i mean people are saying yeah, she did, uh, oh that's quite, she did get found guilty quite, right i see that right yep yeah okay. four out of yeah. 11 counts yeah yeah and so that was a, i mean i've followed that one that was my new enron i was following that a lot me, me uh, too me too and you know <laughs> yeah. i have some questions yeah. to ask you about that then before we let you go <laughs> Oh yeah, sure, sure. Do you think Ask she away. got pregnant during the time leading up to the trial to try to be, gain sympathy from the jury? Is she that kind I, of I, diabolical of a person? I I don't know her at all. I uh, I know that 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 some um, what's the word like like jury wise um, legal case watchers were speculating the same thing. I mean, they said it was a pretty a pretty good ploy. Yeah, yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> but. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I d- maybe that's too cynical. Yeah, I know. But I'm a cynical uh, but person. Some- well, maybe yeah, lowers too. her voice <laughs> an octave. Yes. Yes. Talk. So I don't. I won't 
I'll put anything past her. To sound like Je- to sound like Steve Jobs. I wouldn't put anything past her. But you know who else did that is Margaret Thatcher. What? <clears throat> Margaret Thatcher. Did not Margaret that. Thatcher dropped her voice. Did she wear black yeah. turtlenecks too? Or? <laughs> uh, she wore the eighties equivalent, I think. I think she wore she wore pantsuits, yep. <laughs> which is the same. Um but uh no, I think uh, women in power they often do this. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, but that yeah, she she Elizabeth Holmes is that's a that's just that whole story was just insane to me. Yeah, the 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 you know what there's parallels to there's some parallels even to my investigations like she faked these and apparently this was something the jury really latched onto. You know, she faked these reports or she wrote reports for for Pfizer mm-hmm. that Theranos had written the report the text of the report and Pfizer said, "Yeah, that's about right or something." And then she appended Pfizer's logo to the report and sent it to her investors. Oh. <laughs> you know, uh, oh. I, I saw stuff like that in the Iceland. Actually, what I saw, which was crazy, was after the Icelandic banks had collapsed, they had been in the middle of some really shady deals to try to hide some things offshore just in case they collapsed, mm-hmm. uh, to try to move money. So the biggest bank type thing. And I learned this, this is not in the book. I learned this since from another uh, book that I read. The biggest bank had an active project to try to move all the most valuable assets to their Luxembourg a bank, which they had a Luxembourg private bank. Uh-huh. And they wanted to keep that going as a lifeboat, basically. Let the Icelandic bank just tank and move to Luxembourg and just keep going there with this, with this <laughs> bank. So they had, they were trying to move the most valuable assets across to Luxembourg and they and the other, uh, the other junk back the other way to Iceland and let the Icelandic bank sink. Oh, that sounds like locusts. And uh, th- they, so they forged documents. So they didn't have uh, signed agreements for all these deals that they were trying to do. They were just moving stuff, you know, really fast in the last days. So they then later they even though the CEOs had left mm-hmm. and the top guys had left, they still had loyal people on the inside. And the loyal people would dummy up documents and, and email them at their, you know, at their, at their Gmail or whatever and say, hey, sign this. And the document would be dated like three months before, you know. Uh, so, so wow. that's kind of a parallel, I yeah. guess, with their uh, Two people we talked to were doing the same shady things. Two, two instances that we just listened to here, like that just makes you wonder how widespread everything is. Yeah, that's the thing. I I think it's quite widespread. I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah. Okay, again, there's no incentive mm-hmm. to to to. Uh, we only find out. Like I actually wrote a little piece about this about Theranos. It was it was the month before. I think the trial started in September. Theranos trial. My book came out in October, so I wrote a little piece about Theranos and about financial crime. You know, what should give us pause is like. There's no system when we find when we uncover a Madoff or a Theranos or Icelandic banks, these are not uncovered systematically by some some elite crime fighting you know squad right. um, you know SWAT team or something. All of these things are are uncovered like piecemeal because like in Madoff's case he turned himself in you know, <laughs> or in in Theranos case there was a whistleblower who went to John Kerryrew at the Wall Street Journal and told the story. Yeah. That's uh, Tyler Tyler Schultz. Um, yeah. And you know, Icelandic banks, it's like, okay, they they finally collapsed under their own weight because because of external factors. But um the, how these great scams or Enron, right? It's like Bethany McLean writes a story, I think, and I think in Fortune, and it's kind of like the subtext of the story is like, how does Enron make money? And like nobody can answer the question because it, it wasn't making money, right? <laughs> yeah. And then like within six months the co- company has collapsed. So but all these things are like one-offs. So how much more, like you, like to your question, like how much more is there? Because th- they're not being uncovered systemically. There's not auditors blowing the whistle, for example. Right, that would be their job. They're not doing right. It. So, how much more is there? I that that's yeah, something to keep you up in that. Uh, yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, should we wrap this up, Dan? Everybody, get in cash, folks. It's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> well, the problem is it could buy be gold, five years buy, from now. <laughs> yeah, buy gold, buy silver. Yeah, right. yeah. Jared, where can uh, where can the people find you then? We got uh, Iceland Secret. Uh, looks like it's available on Amazon. It's uh, yeah, you can go to the website too. It's Icelandsecret.com. Two S's in the middle. 
and uh, you can see all different buying options there. Amazon, you can get it on Audible. Actually, I read it. Ooh. So you can listen to me reading it on Audible. Oh, see that. Wow. We love it when the uh, love authors that. do that. And you got Kindle and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, the website, is that where the, the piece that you wrote? Can they find that there or is that somewhere else? Yeah. On the, on the media, there's a media tab on the website okay. and I try to keep that updated with articles. And yeah. Excellent. All right, Dan, you want to take us home? Okay, well, thanks for sticking around to the end with us, folks. Big, 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 big thanks to Jared. This has been a great interview. We want to really appreciate your time. want to let you know how, how glad we are. Thanks to you both. And we'll be back at you soon with another episode. But in the, until then, happy trades. Bye, folks. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.